This is Pennyworth Podcast, all about the Pennyworth TV series, episode six, Silver Black. Tell me your dreams. I don't have any. I thought I'd be married to Esme. I mean your sleeping dreams. I haven't, but they go as soon as I wake up. I don't remember. Nothing? Scraps. Are they scraps of good dreams or bad dreams? Do people have good dreams? Welcome back, Governors, to this episode of TV Podcast Industries, where we are looking at episode six called Scylla Black uh, on the first season of Pennyworth. Yes, I am one of your hosts, John, or should I say, it's Scylla here. <laughs> I'm one of your other hosts, Derek, and these titles of episodes are making zero sense to me right now. Um, I, I was able to fudge it for Lady Penelope, the idea that possibly it was to do with Thunderbirds and that Alfred was the driver and the chauffeur from Arthur Wayne at some point, so they were making a little joke there. Last week for Shirley Bassey, I had no idea why it would be called that, maybe because there's kind of a Bond connection there. This week, Priscilla Black... Is it because the Sykes sisters are in Liverpool and Silla Black's a Liverpool no, singer? No, they're not, in, they're not in Liverpool. But I mean, first of all, to anyone who doesn't know about Silla Black, she is, or was, I should say, she has passed away now, mm-hmm. but she was a 60s institution uh, coming from Liverpool, like a lot of good stuff back uh, in the UK back then. Like a uh, Lara good stuff? Like a Lara, a so. Lara good stuff. Um, no, you know, she um, was in the Cavern Club and Matthew Street in Liverpool with the Beatles at that time. Mm-hmm. She also had her own singing career yeah. um, as well. And so, I mean, in, in the same way as Jerry and the Pacemakers all coming yeah. out of Liverpool at that particular time. I think she had a song in the top ten in the US, but not didn't have a massive career over there. She had no. a few big singles, but nothing um, massive in the US, but huge in the UK. So that's where she became really, really uh, big. I mm-hmm. mean, for, for me personally, I completely missed all of that. And I mean, only really the Beatles I would kind of know about. I wouldn't know about her stuff. But, you know, she was then a, a television institution in doing different shows like... Um, I think it was Blind Date was one of them. That was a big one, yeah. Um, yep. But she did the one where... Um, like she, she surprised, uh, families. Oh, I, I can't remember the name. Fellow governors, I can't believe John can't remember the no. show where Silla Black surprised people called Surprise, Surprise. 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 Yeah. <laughs> surprise, Surprise. There you go. have to yeah, say it in exactly. Liverpool. It has to be done in Liverpool accent, <laughs> uh, to truly be understood. But she is a scouser, um, which is a Liverpoolian for uh, her American yes. listeners. And, but I, I think given the timeline of, uh, of Alfred Pennyworth, this is all about her um, swing in the swinging sixties with the music yeah. and so on. Uh, maybe black because there's a lot of dark arts here. So maybe the black Silver relates black. to the black magic, black arts. But since I know there are a few big fans of uh, of Pennyworth out there that are listening to our podcast right now, and possibly one or two people that worked on the show, maybe. <laughs> listening we know that that on gotham tv podcast we had some some people worked on the show listen to the podcast if you do and you know the reason why these episodes are called these specific names these specific female singers we know every one of them we know who they are but we don't know why the episodes are called after yeah so we'd love we're, to know. we're a little unsure there we'd uh, love to know you know we are into our sixth episode now on pennyworth and we are unsure of the episode titles we thought that we would be hearing Scylla Black yeah. or Shirley Bassey for example Absolutely. I think you've pretty much nailed it around Lady Penelope with the driver Maybe. aspect um, but I, I was definitely expecting for the Scylla Black and Shirley Bassey that we would have some kind of music um, tribute to them and, yeah. I, and I can't say that I've spotted it but yes Fellow governors, please send in your thoughts on these episode titles. We'd really like to get some clear idea as to why they're called, uh, what they're called, certainly as we are into our sixth episode. And 
on that. And thanks to all of you who have subscribed to us on the podcast already. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you haven't subscribed, please do so. You can head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com and you can get any straight-laced or groovy podcast catcher of your choice. Just search Pennyworth Podcast. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and Stitcher and whichever one you want to go on. Uh, like the Swinging 60s, it's up to you. Absolutely. Uh, you can do what you want. Uh, please yeah. rate uh, and leave a review because to share the podcast is sharing the love and we'd really like to, to find out and understand your thoughts on uh, how good we're doing. Um, so thank you for all those people who have subscribed uh, and will do. Yeah, and definitely, if you know anybody that watches the show and wants to find a companion podcast like our one uh, about it, make sure you share the podcast with them because it's very difficult to get found as a podcast out there. And if you're listening to ours, maybe one of your friends might be interested in it. Show them, bring them in as a member of the family, bring them in as fellow governors, join join us. But without further ado, let's get into our Royal Mail section. Be a love, put stamps on them, pop them in a letterbox for me. You know I can't do that. You can. Yes, welcome to Royal Mail, our feedback section for Pennyworth. This is Her Majesty's Post, mm-hmm. uh, where you can drop off your letters, or dare I say emails, uh, all about uh, everything to do with Pennyworth. We have voicemail, where you can go over and leave up to 90 seconds of your dulcet tones over at tvpodcastindustries.com. Our email over at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. And, of course, you can join our page or group over on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV Podcast Industries. Yep, or you can join us because we've kept it open. The Gotham TV Podcast group is there as well. So you can join us at facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV Podcast. Let's get into the feedback, John. Our Royal Mail section will kick off with some voicemail from Charlotte Bain. Hi, guys. This is Charlotte. I wanted to find out who murdered Ez. It was a great episode. Poor Alfred is so distraught that Spanish the ghost was trying to tell him to stop stand there and get up and avenge as his murder. So Martha, she came over there to try to get Alfred to go back to work, but he vowed not to do violence anymore. And then lo and behold, John the Ripper came past and he gave Alfred a new purpose by saying that he knows everything and who's behind Ez's murder, but he had to do one thing first. So that lit a fire up underneath him. But come to find out, what he had to do was to take out the leader of the no-name league because Ripper was having an affair with his wife. So uh, you still don't know who murdered Ez yet. Hopefully we'll find out something next week. But it was a great episode. All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for uh, your voicemail. It's really good to hear you. Oh, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, the question, who murdered Esme, is still there. And it's certainly getting really twisty-turny. You know, John the Ripper teeing up Alfred to do the work of Udine Thwaite and kill her husband uh, is, you know, it is a little devious. And it's one of those things where it does change um, Alfred from going... I won't kill people to mm-hmm. certainly, uh, I, I believe we see, um, uh, Mr. Thwaites lower jaw only, um, yeah. after that Absolutely. shotgun to the head. So that, you know, that's a little complicated. Plus we've still got Thomas Wayne and Martha Kane working for the no name, potentially for the CIA. And, you know, this is getting fairly, uh, muddy here uh, as to the intentions of different people i think so uh yes the question is still open but we Who think we have an answer but we do think we have an answer in episode six then we which certainly is cool. do so looking forward to getting into that thanks so much for your feedback on episode five charlotte uh, also over on our facebook group roger sprung gave some feedback on the episode so far he said i've just finished listening to your podcast episode four and five back to back i miss a lot by watching the episodes but the two of you always explain the finer points so thanks very much thanks roger Yes, thanks, Roger, for that. I always like talking about talking about the episodes as well. Uh, Roger says, I'm still puzzled as to why episodes four and five were titled the way they were. What did Lady Penelope and Shirley Bassey have to do with each show? What did I miss? 
I did talk about this earlier on. We're not 100% sure that we got them right. I did post back to Roger earlier on in the week and just explain what we thought Lady Penelope meant. <laughs> we're hoping that we're right. But unfortunately, at the moment, a lot of shows do get the showrunners or the directors or the writers on to talk about individual episodes. And sometimes they give these kind of explanations away, but we haven't seen anything just yet on this show. So hopefully at some point we'll get a, an ability to talk to maybe Bruno Heller or maybe someone involved in the show that does know these answers. So uh, it'd be quite cool. Roger continues, after episode four, Peggy Sykes was my choice for murdering Esme for a classic reason, jealousy. I think she was very jealous of Beth's feelings for Esme, even though they were unrequited. Maybe Peggy has secret non-sisterly feelings for Beth. Nothing would surprise me with this show or with her. After watching episode five, John Ripper jumped to the top of my list. I think killing Esme wasn't to get back at Alfred, but was part of a plan all along to give Alfred the motivation to do what John wants him to do. I doubt Ripper has any interest in Alfred's well-being. Ripper does what benefits himself. If he can mastermind Undyne's accession to leader of the No Name League, and perhaps further, maybe even Prime Minister, he could be behind the scenes pulling the strings. That is true. I think that's a really good and interesting idea yeah. from Roger. I know, again... We do think we have a murderer in this episode, in episode six, but because they haven't found him at the, by the end of the episode, that's not necessarily true. So all of these theories could still be theories until episode seven. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it's all being driven by John Ripper. It could be. Yeah, exactly. Roger continues. Was Alfred and Esme's new apartment located in Whitechapel? If so, then that directly connects to Jack the Ripper. I don't know. I don't think it's located in Whitechapel, but I know that John the Ripper is the man in Whitechapel that connects him with yes. Jack the Ripper, obviously. That's, I, that's I where think that comes it from. must be around there somewhere, but it, it looked a fairly fancy um, apartment uh, block yeah. to, to me. But certainly, but it's not to say that it doesn't border Whitechapel yeah. because, like, London has that strange thing where you have, you know, some really uh, wealthy places buttressed up um, against, you know areas of, of of different wealth really yeah. and, and some where it, it's municipal housing and so on so it, like or or poorer areas so it, like it, it is a bit of a mosaic to be honest mm-hmm. um or and patchwork of different areas so yeah it'll be interesting and mm. um, i might but, have to look back at that scene because i know he tells her that they're going to go and get in the bus and go and visit that place because he sold his car to get the deposit up not necessarily true. It's actually the money you got from Martha to get the money up to, to get that apartment. I wonder, does he mention where, uh, where that's based? I have to check back on the episode though. And finally, Roger says, and the shotgun blast. It looks like Dave Boy will survive his second bullet wound in the first, first five episodes. <laughs> if he keeps being so reckless, he might not survive all episodes of this season. I have a feeling that Esme will also become one of Alfred's visions. I hope we find out the whole story behind it next week. Yes. I, I, I hope she becomes a vision as well mm-hmm. because at this moment in time, uh, with Esme, I suppose Alfred has kissed Martha and then the, the, the landlord's daughter has certainly been rattling the glassware, uh, at the bar she thanks has. to Alfred Pennyworth. So I think, um, I think Esme could be quite good coming back going, why did you do this, Alfred? Well, I was certainly expecting Esme in episode six. There's a moment I'll talk about it later on, so I don't uh, combine our episode five feedback and our episode six discussion, but there's definitely a moment in this episode I was expecting to see Esme, and I was quite surprised it wasn't her. Um, Thanks so much for your feedback, Roger. Really good to hear from you about the episodes. Loads more, I'm sure, to talk about as the rest of the season goes on. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Roger, for, for the feedback. We've also got some feedback through from Patrick Lemke uh, over on Facebook as well. Uh, Patrick goes, I think it would be interesting if not this season, but in a future season, if this show gets any, they set up a proto Court of Owls as an antagonist organization. Mm-hmm. Perhaps they might even be related to the No Name League, since Thomas Wayne's deviation from the group may be partial reason for him to end up on an owl watch list. 20 or so years later, if they decided to tie Pennyworth closer to Gotham's continuity, I think they could play with what led into the Wayne murder conspiracy more, giving even more nuance if they wanted to. Loving this show so far, it has a lot of potential. Thank you, Patrick, for that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely agree. I I think um, the idea that one of these uh, leagues, the No Name League or even the Raven Society, becomes... Uh, something akin to um, the 
British kind of court of owls. And then we see the court of owls influencing things as well. Could be really good. I think as well, we have the League of Assassins that operate around the world. You, you hear this from, um, Rachel Ghoul. So again, it could be something to do with the League of Assassins to, you know, destabilize and undermine. But certainly the court of owls is a little more, um, personal, I think, uh, with respect to the Wayne family. Uh, so I, I think that would be really, really interesting. I mm-hmm. like your idea that the No Name League morphs into this, uh, or at least the, the, the British outlet of that because he has actually betrayed them because he is a CIA operative, for example. Yeah. I kind of like the idea that it is No Name because they're hiding the Court of Owls because the Court of Owls has been around for centuries. You know, that, that's what we, that's what you learn, I suppose, from the, the comic books. And that's what you learned a little bit in Gotham. Again, we're, you're never too sure what way these shows are going to go. You know, Gotham itself, as we know, originally it was supposed to be a, a GCPD set story and then over time it became very tied into the dc universe you know we got loads of villains over the course of the of the seasons as it went on and on and dc gave more and more villains to them so um so if we get a second season of this show i don't think they would rule out tying it a little more into gotham if they're allowed to by dc you know if they prove yeah, themselves absolutely. yeah if they prove that they can do a 10 episode show not connected to the dc universe and then go back to dc and ask them for some other stuff it's made by the same company it's still made by warner brothers you know they could still get some characters if they needed to if they wanted to use something like the court of owls which has been around for centuries or the league of, of assassins the league of shadows if they wanted to do that they could absolutely go and ask you know see if they can get some more connections that'd be quite why cool. not why not mm-hmm. uh, even use pumpkin ed uh as a sort of surrogate for scarecrow maybe maybe <laughs> you just always wanted to say pumpkin ed in a liverpool accent um maybe <laughs> thanks so much for all the feedback i love our royal mail section we haven't gotten to do it every week unfortunately because of the way we are recording our episodes so if you want to send in your feedback we're going to try and keep the royal mail section at the beginning of each episode so that we talk about the previous episode and your feedback before we get into our coverage of the episode itself absolutely um but with that on with our spoiler filled review derek what are some of the episode details I'm going to keep repeating it. It's written by Bruno Heller, as all other five episodes of the series wow. were done. Yep. But this one was directed by Bill Eagles, who directed episode three of this series. We talked a bit about him there. He, he directed uh, early episodes of, Goth- of Gotham season one and season two, and then left similar to Bruno Heller. So obviously the two of them have kept this connection up, as we mentioned before. So great to see him back yeah, in the world of the stuff. DC universe. Yeah, yeah, good stuff indeed. And it's really good. I'm liking that Bruno Heller has kept control of the writing here. Um, it, it feels like it, it connects quite nicely between the episodes. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's down to him for Absolutely. sure. And you it know. feels like he's able to put his vision down. He's able to kind of go, right, this is my show from episode one to episode 10. So if things don't make sense a little bit in episode two, or you don't like things that are happening in episode three, potentially he has a plan for that particular story point getting it towards the end of the episodes. Like there's, there's moments in the show so far that I've kind of gone, oh, I didn't know they were going to be going back to the severed arms. But suddenly the severed arms is a very central point that yeah, they're using absolutely. every episode. You yeah, know? It's, it's really, really good. Yeah, it's really that and the smart. club, I'm really enjoying them as mm-hmm. as bases. I think the club just, it just feels very Gotham-y. So yeah. that's kind of nice. I absolutely. like that. And the pub, a a British kind of version of that Gotham, you know? It's a British institution, yeah, really, exactly. the pub. I, I, I kind of like the fact that two of their main locations revolve around alcohol. It just makes sense. <laughs> if, you're, if you've been to London and know these kind of characters, it would all be centered around that kind of stuff. But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. With Julian Thwaites dead, Alfred Pennyworth asks John Ripper for the person who killed Esme, only to be sent to Bethlehem. That's the hospital, and to a witch named Baroness Ortsy. Alfred must bring a, a left hand of a murderer, a rose, all at the time of a full moon. Alfred leaves, calling her a nutter. <laughs> Up north, and still at the kinky Spices house, Lord Harwood remembers, and he must kill those who have done him harm. Armed with Peggy and Bet Sykes, he returns to London. Mm-hmm. Someone else returns to the chaotic streets of London, Patricia Wayne, and she is ready to party. After being asked to babysit Patricia by her brother Thomas, Martha Kane and Patricia attend a debauched party with the famed occultist Alistair Crowley. Tripping and hallucinating and missing for two days, Martha wakes up naked under a dead tree with no sign of Patricia or a party. Mm-hmm. Strange things also happen to Alfred, as he finds himself in the possession of a severed left hand and a rose during a full moon. (laughs) 
Back in Bethlehem with something strange in his tea, Alfred hallucinates and discovers his ex-army captain, John Fitzsmythe Curzon, to be behind the murder of Esme. But at Captain Curzon's home, Alfred, Davy Boy and Baza discover he is one step ahead of them. Catch me if you can, boys! Very, very trippy episode this time, but it did also provide us with our new section uh, heading, our section title for this area where we talk about our top five questions. Did you notice that, John? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it was it was good to see, I think. Yes. Um, well, let's play it. You ask a lot of questions, Mr. Wayne. Are you sure you want the answers? See, even Mr. Wayne asks lots of questions. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, and looks to tell many lies. Love Who'd that have line. thought, actually, that Thomas Wayne, the philanthropist doctor, in this series is being shown to be a, you know, deceiving spy who tells lots of lies in order to get answers to the questions? Well, was he a philanthropist? Was he a doctor? Exactly. Maybe those were he, lies. The, Thomas Wayne has got a lot to answer for, to be honest. Like, technically speaking, the only people we know that from is Bruce and Alfred, and Alfred's lying all the time. In exactly. This show, so maybe it's all a lie. And <laughs> to be honest, it becomes less of a surprise that he was shot in an alleyway. Well, maybe. You know? Yeah, yeah. Enemies of the state, mm-hmm. spy. It could be. It could be a disgruntled no-name leaguer from many moons ago. Now. Absolutely. It puts a completely new spin and dimension on who shot Thomas and Martha Wayne. Is it one of the occultists that come back after, you know, Martha's left naked, uh, (laughs) you know, under a tree? Maybe, but but that's what I like about it. You know, it's another 10 or 20 years before these characters do die in the books. Uh, What I like about this is that potentially they could tie it into Gotham. Gotham did give you a murderer of the Wayne family, but didn't give you 100% of the reason as to why they would do it. That's true. I do like the idea you could potentially tie it back in. But let's get into our top five questions for the week, John. Yes. Question one, do you remember your name, love? (laughs) (laughs) I know this isn't technically a question about the episode or anything you have to answer, but I did like that Lord... James Harwood is back. Um, so the question really is, what's he going to be doing afterwards? But that's not a fun question. So I thought I'd go for, do you remember your name, love? Yeah, uh, well, he does. Uh-huh. Lord James Harwood has been tickled all the way back to um, his his memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm wondering if he remembers the spices. I mean, can you imagine having kind of short-term memory loss? Um to wake up kind of realising that you are a lord, to find yourself in a semi-detached with someone in a gimp mask or uh, skipping around in their underwear, like the Spices. Now, in fairness, you're they, right, You're right. actually, in this episode, both of them are wearing normal clothes. Yeah. So I wonder, is it just because Lord Harwood's kind of coming back to himself that, that Peggy and Beth have gone, maybe you should put on some clothes, lads. Well, I really like this, because it, it feels like a weird happy family hmm. now we've got you know we've got lord harwood with no nose with a, a fake prosthetic on yeah we've got the spices kind of not in their comfort zone because they're actually wearing clothes exactly. and we've got the lovely uh psych sisters in peggy and bet uh, and, and i really like that you know all his memory seems to be being kicked off from all the news feeds coming through about you know London descending into chaos, the country being on the brink of civil war, mm-hmm. the the no name thugs and the Raven Society thugs all fight, street fighting, um you know police involved, riot police involved, you name it. It seems like it's utter nuts out there on the streets of Britain. Like that six month time jump has really just thrown Britain into the hell in a handbasket basically, hasn't it? It's just really thrown the the cat among the pigeons and created these two societies going at each other, you know? But you know, he Yeah, exactly. And but he now knows that, you know, he was um destroyed ultimately, broken mm-hmm. by the Prime Minister. Um ev- he's lost everything because of the Prime Minister and he must go back to kill them. And I must say I love the fact that we get Lord Harwood returning to Lon- London with certainly an enthusiastic uh bet site. Uh-huh. Peggy was like, uh no, London. Not <laughs> into that place down south oh. and it's kind of like i use about multiple different accents that there. was about 20 yeah, yeah. um <laughs> but peggy a little more sort of shy but bet 
coming in and saying, no, we are both coming down. We will be your trusted friends and, and supporters. I do wonder if the spices are going to be there as well. So <laughs> that, I, I really hope so. I do not want to lose the spices absolutely at this not. stage. I think any show that can normalize uh, gimp masks mm-hmm. uh, and effectively bondage outfits on elderly people um, <laughs> really has, has done a very good job Definitely. at getting you to care for uh, this couple. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Lulu and Mrs. Spicer, I don't know her first name. I no. need to kind of get that pinned into my head um, because, uh, you know, Lulu and his wife... Mm-hmm. I think are an institution at this stage. Well, remember, you know, the last time they were in London, Lulu was wearing the gimp mask and a blonde wig. Uh, <laughs> so it was actually a flesh-colored gimp mask and a, bl- and a blonde <laughs> wig. So, yes. um, so he is their driver uh, at the moment. He's also their remote control for the <laughs> television, if you noticed. Yes. Uh, for the younger members of our audience, yeah, uh, we didn't have obviously. Uh, they didn't have remote controls in the sixties, so you would definitely be getting a call from your mom or dad to go and turn off the television. And we hear from Peggy, who isn't moving at all. It's Lulu, turn off the television from the other side of the room. He has to walk all the way over to turn off the television, even though she's closest to it, I think, uh, at the time, just so they didn't disturb Lord Harwood as he's having these memories of the prime minister. Um, but it is really interesting. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be cool to see the Sykes sisters together in London. I love these two because yeah. they, they feel like, as we said last episode, the scissor sisters, they feel like, you know, two halves of an evil whole, basically. Um, Definitely. Because there's something dispassionate about Peggy, but she seems very, um, very normal in her thinking, whereas Beth seems completely irrational in her thinking and very violent. So I think the two of them together will work as really evil kind of henchmen, I suppose, in the new Raven society as, as Harwood goes and reclaims it for himself, I guess. I wonder what, what his reaction will be when he finds that somebody else has stepped up to the place now when he gets back to London, you know? Well, that's it. Is Francis Gaunt going to be collateral damage mm-hmm. here? And given what happens in this episode with the truce uh, between No Name League and the Raven Society, yeah. will he in any way be happy about this? <laughs> no, of course so, not. Um, <laughs> there will be no truce. I would I say Francis Gaunt may lose her position rather rather yeah. quickly because i love when he when he says his name he says i am lord james harwood i am the leader of the raven society it's almost like one sentence that is his job that is his job title is when he basically says uh, at the same moment so he's not giving up that title just because he was tortured for a while you know yeah. um so i'll be really intrigued to see what happens so we'll definitely want to call out that nose prosthetic i think is really good what yeah, they've done on, on really his nice nose. yeah like obviously we knew they could never keep that cgi work up in every episode because it's almost it it must be impossible to do as the character moves as the actor moves to keep that nose disappeared in the cgi well, so less um, impossible more probably very damn expensive, expensive. <laughs> very exactly. expensive so doing this prosthetic which is a pink the pink nose over the real nose but it looks off it always looks off yeah. at the time so uh, so really cool very, yeah, very nose well really good yeah. i think question two mm-hmm. How much does Thomas Wayne really know? Oh, Thomas Wayne is great in this episode. I love how he's kind of getting to the truth as he has conversations with people. You know, he goes in and meets up with Dave Boy and Alfred uh, in the pub, and he's not supposed to know that Alfred is involved in this kill. He's not supposed to know that Alfred killed Mr. Thwaites. He knows that Dave Boy failed in his mission that he was sent to kill uh, to kill the leader of the Raven Society. Um, but he works it all out when he's in there. He talks it through with them and goes, I know Jack Ripper's involved in this. I know that he must be the one that's behind the death of the Thwaites because it wouldn't benefit anybody else, basically. So he kind of has that all laid out and he identifies that it's Alfred is the, is the killer, even though Alfred has lots of great lines back to him to block him at every, every point. I'm pretty sure that Alfred also knows that, that, uh, that he knows, that Thomas knows as well. I'm sure Alfred has worked that out too, but I like the kind of interplay between all these guys. And I love that Dave Boy is kind of like, yeah, don't really care that I failed in the mission that you sent me out to well, do. Well, he, he just wants uh, his packet of crisps with his second exactly. uh, glass of whiskey. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I thought this was pretty interesting. Thomas Wayne uh, really has his theories in, in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know to what extent some of them are leaps of faith because, you know, we're not really seeing him sleuthing in, in any sense other than he comes into the severed arm uh, pub and, and, and speaks with them. So, I, you know, he is investigating, but ultimately they are based on conjecture that they're a theory and i think uh-huh. they're an educated theory for sure certainly. but he certainly uh walks in there going well you were the other guy that shot um 
Jason Thwaite. Who would want that to happen? Why? Um, and you certainly didn't. How did you get out after being shot in the stomach? I mean, you completely failed. And that's right. I, I do like the fact that David Boy is kind of like, things happen. You know, he's kind of fairly matter of fact about <laughs> Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Even though, you know, all this stuff hinges. And then with the CIA guy, you know, it's very much that he he's kind of follows the logic, I suppose, to get to the theory to say, well, who would want her to kill her husband? And she must have powerful friends. Mm-hmm. You know, why wasn't she taken out as well? And the only thing that Thomas Wayne can actually put his finger on is that, well, the CIA, the CIA are backing the No Name League. We yeah. we heard that last week, so they have backed. The power play, even though I think Jason Thwaites didn't realize there was a power play happening, but they have backed a power play uh, at the top of the no-name league, yeah. and it is Udine Thwaites that has come out on that. I do like the fact that the CIA guy said, and we have an asset very close to the top. I can only think at this moment it means John Ripper. Yes, exactly. Um, so I'm hoping it is, because the idea that John Ripper is working for the CIA is really, really good. Mm -hmm. And that might tie into uh, possibly John Ripper engineering the situation around Esme Mm -hmm. as well. Because, you know, we'll we'll get to it a little sooner, but, I mean, I do like the fact that it could be someone from his past who we've not really... um, known too much about at this stage yeah when i i wonder if this is being engineered and and at the moment the person that seems to be pulling the strings of of alfred pennyworth and certainly his mum thinks so is um is john ripper yeah Yeah, and i like that when she points that out to him you, you get the response from alfred going no, no, I know exactly who that man is, and he has absolutely no control over me. But I don't think that's true. I think a man as smart as Ripper does know how to manipulate every situation he's in, and I think he is absolutely manipulating Alfred. So yeah. let's see what happens. Uh, we're going to have talk about that later on, as you mentioned, John. But let's get back a little bit to Thomas Wayne and what's going on with this No Name Society. So you're right, CIA are supporting No Name Society, but this feels like a move from the Raven Society to kill one of the leaders. So it could incite the whole thing it could it could turn the whole situation into a really incendiary situation so they're now saying they've put undyne into the leadership role and then into the leadership role of uh, the no names league and they're making her go out to the ravens and say let's have a truce here and calm it down and the whole reason for that is because there's a new president in the u.s and yeah, they, need elections. About, they need about six months of quiet yeah. so they can have the elections and nobody's going to be wondering what ha- what the UK situation yeah, is absolutely. basically which I really like this idea you know I also love that line from Thomas when he walks into the room and kind of goes to his boss basically and says you need to tell me all your plans and the CIA boss goes do we now <laughs> very much like a yeah. no no you don't get to know everything you're yeah, not exactly. you're not the leader of the CIA we'll give you your missions and you'll carry them out yeah there is a reason it's called need to know mm-hmm. I, th- I think um I think what's interesting here, though, is that the the mission that the CIA chief in the UK gives to Alfred is that there will be another meeting between mm-hmm. Francis Gaunt and now Udine Thwaite uh, to build a um a a truce because it really is on the brink of civil war. I mean, yeah. we hear the the landlord in, in the pub talk about rivers of blood. Mm-hmm. So you know, UK is really on the edge here, and that is a reference to um, a, a, a very well-known political speech in, in the UK back in the 60s by uh, the Conservative MP Enoch Powell, which he, he talks about rivers of blood. Now, I mean, from my side, Enoch Powell um, was a continuation of effectively a, a racist mm-hmm. sort of white supremacy kind of point of view that, that goes back to effectively the UK's um, Nazi... Um, Black shirts and, and Oswald Mosley, um, you know, the, the, this kind of brief period of fascism that, or this fascist organization in, in Britain. Mm-hmm. And Enoch Powell kind of, for me, kind of comes from that. For me, his speech is objectionable. I mean, yeah. it, it's about immigration and how immigrants cannot, um, sort of integrate that we shouldn't allow them to, you know, the, those general tropes and notions that awful. absolutely are, are, are awful. And it, it, he had this phrase rivers of blood in there. Yeah. And, and, and in some ways that's a specter that haunts over 
Britain, uh, not in the mainstream, but no, certainly, not. you know, it, it, he, he is seen as a, um, a, a well-known central figure or rallying figure, um, for, um, some extreme societies yeah. in, uh, in, in the UK. And so it's interesting that the landlord talks about this for me. I, I, um, you know, it, it really does indicate potentially, um, the, the, the kind of, um, world in which Bruno Heller is trying to envisage here yeah. that this is, this is a Britain where maybe that speech by Enoch Powell has kicked everything off and behind it are these no name league and, and the, the Raven Society. I mean, and in this case, it's not to do with race. It's to do with political alignment of being, um, fascist or, or right wing in terms of the Raven Society mm-hmm. and seemingly more, uh, left-wing and communist with the no-name league so the interesting thing i i got from this was that thomas wayne was not prepared to kill for the no-name league Mm -hmm. but he is here now entrusted to kill for the cia yes and um he goes i'm ready for it and you know his task here is to kill francis gaunt if she does not um, take up the offer of Undyne uh, Thwaite mm-hmm. for this truce. Um, yeah. and, and so I, I, I kind of think this is really interesting uh, that uh, Thomas Wayne will do it for, uh, in this case, not queen and country, but president and country. Yeah, um, and for the, the, off, the seal of the office, you know, um, whereas he would not do it for the no-name league where he... It, ultimately is spying on them well exactly you know i think that's that's the point he's undercover effectively within the no name league working for the cia so if they give him a mission to kill someone he's not going to do it but for the cia he will a couple of interesting things about that so that's a really interesting point but one of the bigger interesting points probably the wider point he's the father of batman who's most well known for not being a killer in the comic books so we're seeing thomas wayne effectively being a gun for hire for the cia in this case so that's quite an interesting concept yeah, they just pulled absolutely. on there and i'm sure they knew they were pulling on that little thread as well and um, but i'm really interested with that meeting of the no name league and the raven society because we have the two women standing opposite each other gaunt and twites saying to each other well i know you were slightly involved in this but i, I, I will forgive you <laughs> um, yes. well i was also slightly involved in it will you forgive me thanks very much maybe the two of us can work together gaunt is still standing back and still kind of very standoffish and saying okay let's just do a very s- simple statement saying we're laying down our arms and we're going to step back um, and we'll come out with a bigger negotiation later but you get the interesting moment of Thwaite sounding very happy about it and then going, can I give you a hug? Which is totally suspect to me. I'm looking at it going, that's a tracker. She's putting yeah, a tracker definitely. on her. There's going to be a bomb being dropped on the central location for the Raven Society in, in a couple of hours time. Or it's a bomb that's going to go off somewhere. Or there's something. She's put some kind of poison on her. Or something. Yeah, I, I, I've got this feeling that John Ripper is fresh out of kidneys to add uh, and cook in the mortuary fires, mm. uh, which was a little disturbing that was. he was kind of doing a a a breakfast fry up in in the mortuary fires but dare i say it, it's probably better that it smells of cooking bacon and, and sausage and eggs rather than formaldehyde and, and preservatives yeah. so um I, I reckon yeah some kind of tracker john ripper's going to be there and you know she's going to be cut up into very small pieces or the cia are going to be there you know remember they are technically working for them undon is technically working for the cia so um so technically that could be a thing that they're doing but uh but yeah i'm intrigued uh that scene was very disturbing i think particularly because we'd seen john ripper a couple of weeks ago with uh with the kidneys out and putting them into a box and yeah. we had assumed he was potentially eating them but sitting in the room where there's a body over to the side <laughs> uh, frying up your breakfast yeah. yummy not cool not cool that scene had absolutely nothing to do with these moments, but it is still quite freaky in there. And um, let's go on to our other returning character for this episode. Question number three, because I want to know were sixties parties this crazy. You know, we've seen them, in, you know, jokingly in things like Austin Powers. We've seen them in other TV shows and movies about sixties parties because it was just the time of of wild sex, drugs, and rock and roll, basically. So, uh, so you've seen representations of these types of parties before, but we see the return of. Party girl Patricia Wayne uh, back to London. I love that she arrives into his uh, his apartment. It looks like middle of the day. Arrives into Thomas's apartment, and she is already 
out of it when she arrives. She says to him, I'm not here to get any, any kind of help from you. I don't want you babysitting me. I just want money and then you can go. And basically, it's a kind of love. I kind of love her. She's a total party girl. Um, but effectively, because Thomas has this mission from the CIA, he has to go and sends her off to, to stay with Martha. And we get this lovely little moment where they go, well, maybe you, you can pretend to be my ex-girlfriend so she'll trust you immediately. So the future Thomas and Martha Wayne are already pretending to be exes in this case. Yes. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it was nice. This. I, I liked the um, reinsertion of chaos in the form of Patricia Wayne mm-hmm. uh, back into Thomas's life. And I like that it also added a little bit of chaos to Martha's life as well. I, Martha seems still to be moping from a, a few episodes ago. I think so. And I, I love this moment where Patricia pulls out the, the poster that's got the devil on it, which says, uh, we need you. And she goes, what time is it? Um, and the time is like, it's seven o'clock. What day is it? It's Friday, such and such. Um, okay, it's time to party yeah. and brings them off to this this hall for a party hosted by Alistair Crowley, mm. uh, who's hosting this hedonistic, occultist, satanic party um, that, uh, yeah, Martha's kind of wanting to keep her distance here. She's been hit on here by Crowley. Yeah, and, I did think uh, that. She is right, isn't she? Yeah. She's definitely being hit on by Crowley. Definitely. Um, just a, a note, because I heard the name and I was like, oh my God, it's a crossover with Good Omens, the other show that we covered earlier on this <laughs> year. It's Crowley. It's, and she calls him Crowley as well, not yeah. Crowley as he's supposed to be called in the show, the way we were calling him Crowley. So, uh, so yeah, it turns out that actually Alistair Crowley is a, a another real life figure in, in the UK. He was an occultist uh, who died in 1947. He wrote loads of poems and loads of books about Satanism and all that kind of stuff. I promise I searched this up on the internet. I don't know him off the top of my mind. I'm not an occultist or a Satanist. <laughs> I didn't look, I didn't just go, Oh yeah, that's the guy who read all his books, you know? Uh, no, this is a, a figure that would have been quite well known uh, back in 1947. So once again, I've seen well, this. So he died. 1947. That's right, yeah. He'd been around many years before that, yeah. Which, it, there is an interesting link to another one of the characters that we'll discuss later yeah. with that date of 1947, yeah. uh, for sure. Absolutely, but I suppose what's interesting here is I've been seeing so many people question where this show is set. It's very like Gotham in the fact that it says the era that we're in is this era, but there's loads of things they're taking from all over the spectrum, you know. Um, if this character was alive in the 60s, he may have been hosting occultist parties, is what they're saying. That, you know, Powell's speech was in 1968. The breakup of the Cliff Richard and the Shadows was in 1967. You know, there's loads of things that are going on throughout the 60s. And many, t- many other times we've seen songs from the 90s and, and the noughties being played in here by different bands, you know. So they are pulling from all across time, effectively, for this show. It's not specifically 60s set. As they say, it's... DC Universe 60s London. Well, it, yeah, and it's re- it's really interesting. You know, there's the, it's old TV. There's no remotes. Mm-hmm. The, the computer looks more like a house rather than you know a laptop yeah. or, or, or a um, a tablet. There is uh, remotes, John. Lulu, turn off the TV. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but then at this um, occultist party, mm-hmm. there are all those lights that look quite modern yeah. um, that you see. Uh, so it, 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 here, the party is kicking. We see Jason Ripper here mm-hmm. uh, as well. So we know what he's up to. Not supposed to be um, back from the north. No, he's not. He's supposed to be um, sort of long gone from this area. Mm-hmm. But this party gets swinging and then it gets swinging. Um, and Martha finds herself kind of doing a bit of an MC Escher uh, stairway walk, uh, going round and round in circles, getting it, yeah. increasingly um, more off her face from um, whatever I presume has been put in a drink by Alistair Crowley. So, it, I mean, she really is starting to to trip uh, and and hallucinate. Mm. And it, it goes from the normal party where she she pulls Patricia and says, right, we're leaving to where there is effectively an orgy taking place with yeah. pig masks and, and all, all that kind of thing. And then she comes around again. She's lost Patricia at this stage and everyone's just lined up with her coming in. And then it's kind of like goes to black. And I have to say, I thought this was really, really good because we, we do get a brief moment where, um, Thomas Wayne, um, in, in the, in the pub says to, uh, Alfred and to Davy Boy, look, uh, Martha and my sister have been missing for two days. 
and it's you you know it takes you out of the timeline mm-hmm. because of the trippiness and um, all of a sudden it's two days gone you didn't realize that you were thinking it was maybe the next day yeah and then we finally have this final moment uh, of the episode where it looks like some kind of ritual has been happening underneath the the dead tree uh in the grounds of this hall where Martha is only just waking up and she's naked. Yeah, absolutely. That, that scene, that, that, that scene is just fantastic as she's going through all of these individual rooms. I know that she does lose, um, Patricia Wayne at some point, but on that last scene when she's in the final, uh, hallway, I suppose, where everybody's lined on either side, you do see Patricia on one side and you see Ripper on the other side as she goes up and meets what I guess is the devil or supposed to be the representation. That was, of the it devil. was the devil. It yeah. didn't go to black. It, it was, uh, it was the goat with six eyes. Six eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely the devil. Yeah. Really and, freaky moment. And you would expect the spices to be in one of those rooms as well. <laughs> they probably haven't driven. Peggy. They probably haven't driven down from Liverpool just yet. They might might appear there later, but not just yet. Um, I do question whether it was Patricia at all that met Martha in the bathroom because Patricia's wearing a completely different outfit. Um, they could have, of course, redressed her. I totally get that. But you're not sure from the moment that she meets Crowley, and I think she's even pouring her own drink. Uh, she, he doesn't even get an opportunity to pour a drink for her or give her anything in or, or put a pill into it or whatever it was. Um, she, from that point onwards everything is kind of questionable as to what's happening with Martha, but you know that she's woken up naked and, and alone pretty far from the centre of London because you see those chimney stacks that feature yeah. quite heavily in this version of London. You see them from miles away, basically. Yeah, so. and the, there's no sign of any of the other guests from the party. Mm-hmm. There's certainly no sign of Crowley or Patricia Wayne. Yeah. So what's happened? So the intriguing one as well is we've never heard of Patricia Wayne before. You would expect if Bruce Wayne had had an aunt that he probably would have met her at some point during his time in the comic books. I've never heard of Patricia Wayne. I might have to actually check that up and see if there is um, an aunt that somehow came came along during the time of the 90-year history of Batman. There may have been an aunt at some point, but I never remember any other me- members of the Wayne family apart from Thomas and Martha. So, uh, so intriguing. This could just simply mean at the end of this series... Potentially, Patricia has disappeared for the last time, and you never speak about a disappeared relative kind of thing. Uh, maybe so potentially yeah. that's what it is. So I'm intrigued to know if there's something in that that they may be uh, they may be playing with in the future. Yeah, that is interesting. What is the Wayne extended family? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what's the one? Well, you know, maybe just maybe um, Alfred Pennyworth kept Bruce in a weird isolation that he never knew that he had uncles and aunties maybe. out there in Gotham. Maybe. Maybe the Batman is getting darker and darker <laughs> by the moment. Maybe. They could have, they could have come in and claimed Bruce's wealthy fortune when he went off traveling around the exactly. world and disappeared. So. Exactly. <laughs> but let's see, uh, whether Patricia Wayne survived the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on to question four. Yes. I have copied over a question from last yes. episode. Well, it is who killed Esme Winnicus? Mm-hmm. The question is asked once again because we hit here on a truly wonderful character, Baroness Ortsy. Oh, yes. And um, a witch, a blind witch at that, played by the awesome Felicity Kendall, mm-hmm. uh, who was in The Good Life, which is a TV show about neighbors. One, um, one set of neighbors are kind of, uh, you know, they've got a great jobs. They're very rich. Um, they have particular notions about society. The others are kind of, uh, hippies in effect they, they want to do their own gardening they're, they're in vegetables they're, they're kind of living the the life of of um of hippies in a sense and it, it's these two uh couples as neighbors and felicity kendall was the hippie um married to her husband so mm-hmm. uh, really good it was a great show uh, and so it's really nice to see felicity kendall here playing this awesome character uh, a witch she has been in loads of other things as well. She's been in Doctor Who as well. She's in Inside Number Nine, uh, quite recently, a couple of years ago, one of our favourite, uh, dark comedy shows in the UK. Um, she's been in loads of stuff, but really cool to see her here as Baroness Ortsy, another true character. And I think you were referencing this earlier on, John. Um, the real Baroness Ortsy was a writer. She wrote The Scarlet Pimpernel, which is such a famous story that, yes. you know, she did loads of historical fiction stories, which would include something like that, you know, that where she would, overlay a historical story with a fictional character like Scarlet Pimpernel. So that's really interesting. But the real Baroness Orsi also died in 1947, which is just really interesting. I wonder, were these stories that um, that Bruno Heller grew up with about people like 
Baroness Orsi and um and Alistair Crowley, and he incorporated them into this story, uh, trying to bring them back into life in the 60s kind of thing. Because yeah. you can't tell every story of the universe, so maybe pulling these all together from his childhood into the 60s is kind of a cool idea. Yeah, and it's it's quite good in that, at least in Pennyworth, she is a witch, and Alistair Crowley is keeping uh, up appearances in that sense mm-hmm. of still being this occultist satanist devil worshipper yeah. and poet um so it but it, it's really uh nicely done you know she's in the bethlehem hospital mm-hmm. we've got nuns here that could take off um <laughs> if a strong wind picked up because those nunny hats um certainly seem to be starched to almost death and could be used quite easily to glide around the streets uh, and chimneys of London, I think. Yeah, um, the flying nuns. Yeah, the flying nuns. Um, so they are called cornets. Those the the headdresses that they're wearing. I love cornettos. It's basically a wimple uh, that yeah. that is that fits goes upwards, but effectively it's a specific set of Roman Catholic nuns because when they were originally founded by Saint Vincent de Paul back in the mid century, a lot of these uh, a lot of the style at the time was wearing headdresses like that but that style went away the cornet this idea of the of the style of the headdress going upwards went away uh, at the time and the only people that were left wearing it were these sisters these uh, sisters of charity the daughters of charity so it's well known within roman catholic circles that if you see a nun wearing that type of habit that type of outfit that they're generally daughters of charity so that they're taking care of sick people or infirm people so i, I really like the idea here that they put this into the show it's it just totally stands out to anybody that yeah. doesn't know anything about nuns, but instantly someone that does know things about nuns would go, of course they're working in a hospital and working in that situation, because they would be. Yeah, and it's also, it's a bit like The Handmaid's Tale, that, you know, these these hats are supposed to be restrictive. Well, um, as generally well. that's a wimple. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Um, like, and starch to the point where it's like having cement on your head, you know, it just doesn't have any flexibility. You take cotton that is lovely and soft and, and, and just starch the hell out of it. So, um, yeah, really good. They could do some kind of like fly past, I suppose, in, <laughs> now, in those hats. It is a real order of nuns. I know. <laughs> I know it is. Interestingly, my, my second cousin was, uh, was a nun for about, 30 years of her life and says that the wimple that they had to wear was so starched that she lost some of the section of hair that would yeah, normally protrude exactly. outside the wimple because of how starched it was in her head. She had and, to wear and it all the time. And, and took yeah. her hair off. I know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts to think. It is Handmaid's Tale, um, even though these are funny Handmaid's Tale wimples, to be honest. Okay. All right. So it's not exactly Handmaid's Tale. It's still a religious order. It's not Handmaid's Tale. No, but, but they are a, a religious order. Anyway, <laughs> let's, yes, the author, Margaret Atwood, does say everything that she wrote in the book was something that had happened to women, mm-hmm. in which restrictive headwear that focuses your sight is one of them. Interesting, so, yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Back to Baroness Ortsy in, yes, uh, in the hospital. Baroness Ortsy. <laughs> um, so ultimately, she gives, um, she, <laughs> I mean, basically, Alfred Pennyworth thinks she's a nutter. Mm-hmm. She's a, she's cracked. Um, and because she, she asks that he comes back to her on the full moon with a rose and the left severed hand of a murderer. And it's kind of like, you're going, okay, where's he going to get this? Um, I, I thought he was going to get Alistair Crowley or something like that and realized that it wasn't just a, a, an occultist, but it was kind of like a murder sect or something like that. Um, I think he just thought when he went to John Ripper, he was going to be given a name. But John Ripper sends him to Baroness Ortsy, and then Baroness Ortsy has this ritual that she must do to read his thoughts and, and dreams. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, you know, conveniently enough, um, Alfred Pennyworth does find himself uh, with the severed bloody hand of a murderer who's just kicked out of the club mm-hmm. and had a fight with. Um, and... He had a rose in his lapel, which has fallen out next to his hand, and it is a full moon, 
So he does get his moment to go back to uh, Bethlehem uh, on this starry night to uh, to Baroness Ortsy to yeah. have his palm read. Oh, don't forget it is Alfie that chops off his hand as well. So it's, that is it's, true. You know, it's not, yeah, it doesn't yeah, just yeah. fall out or he doesn't chop his own hand off. Uh, that's a really cool yeah, scene. He did just pick it up uh, from the sidewalk. <laughs> exactly. Like we've seen a bit of gunplay on the show before. We haven't really seen this uh, and a bit, a bit of punching up and stuff. But I really like this scene here where we have Dave Boy throwing the, uh, throwing the box to Alfie so he can protect himself from that massive machete that the guy takes out of his jacket. Absolutely. Remember, this guy was indoors drinking nine bottles of champagne and eating oysters with that machete inside his coat <laughs> the whole time. That seems like a really, really awkward thing yeah, to carry really around, uncomfortable. <laughs> Absolutely. But I really like the scene. It's, it's really interesting. You know, we, we, it's obviously not just convenience. She has seen something in her mind's eye that says, this is going to happen, and when when it happens, he'll believe me. And I love when he brings it back to her, the, the hand on the rose. She has almost forgotten about Alfred completely until he starts to talking and she hears that voice again you know <laughs> that, that that's who it is and and then of course her cat starts to feed on the hand you know it's like this is really creepy um you know i also like it's kind of weird but i like the fact that he just walks in opens up the door and walks in and she goes how did you get in here and he goes oh i'm not telling you <laughs> going has nobody ever told her that she can just push the door and get out of that yeah. room oh well <laughs> like that's a really horrible way to tie her up in the, in the room and just put her in there and say don't touch the doors <laughs> well and she does offer him tea mm-hmm. as all good people should be uh offering mm-hmm. and uh I, I do like the fact that he goes did you put something in the tea and she goes of course I did. I'm a witch. Exactly. <laughs> Which is really good, but it helps with his hallucinations. And we go back. I think I really like this, that it goes back to the war flashbacks uh, in the jungle. We see all this and it you feel as though it's come out of the dream, but then you're still in the dream. And, he, and he's with uh, Davy Boy and Baza at, at the club. And I think that's Esme singing, or it's supposed to be Esme singing. It's not actually Esme. That's the bit I was talking about earlier on. I absolutely expected that the camera would turn around and we would see Esme singing ah, in the club. It would make okay. a lot of sense, wouldn't it? That's, yeah. That's Sandra, the landlord's daughter, uh, who we've seen singing once or twice before, but she's the one singing, um, singing the song, singing, uh, Lily of the Lamplight, uh, up on stage in there. And I was kind of going, doesn't really make sense for her to be back in there. If this no, is a no. dream, which we now know it is because we see Spanish serving drinks to Dave Boyd and, and Baza, um, and Dave Boyd drinking water, which is another indication yes, that we're not exactly. in real life right here. Um, so, so you would think Esme is the perfect person to be standing up on stage there, but it's Sandra. So that's, that's quite interesting that, that we've gone that way. Um, but it does, it does kind of figure, uh, into this realization of who it is that he thinks has killed Esme. So, yeah, and at, uh, in the jungle, as they're they're burying Spanish, mm-hmm. it, it's his former captain, Captain Curzon, yeah. staring back at him, and it's just that the the look that is being given to Alfred, he knows that that is hatred. Yeah, um, and it is Captain John Fitzsmythe Curzon, uh, and so the boys do head on off to um hit his home yeah they have that actual conversation after uh alfred wakes up and leaves uh baroness Orsi behind um he kind of explains the whole thing to them like he did in the dream he sits down with baza and dave boy in uh, severed arms and explains to them that it's not it's not just about the look that the captain gives them there was a moment when they were being attacked and the captain tried to ward off wherever it was that was attacking picked up his gun and dropped it on the ground and because of that alfred kind of jokingly slagged him off. He gave him a nickname, effectively. And he, Alfred seems to think that because of that, because he was embarrassed in front of all of his troops, the captain is coming after after uh, Alfred. So, interesting. Seems like something he'd forget. I know Baza's like, that was five years ago, man. Loads happened between now and then. Why is he coming after you now? Why is he doing this now? But there must be more to it. Because, and our final question, what does the letter say, effectively, is our final yeah. question. Um because when they do arrive at Captain John Fitzmaid's Curzon's house, um, they find that there's a letter attached to the door addressed to A. Pennyworth, so addressed to Alfred, knowing that he's going to be coming after him, which is really interesting. He knows he'll eventually put the pieces together and find him. I presume he might have thought that he would come to the realisation a different way rather than <laughs> going to uh, the Baroness and getting some funny tea to uh, to go through his dreams to find out who might have been that, that killed him. Um, but the letter itself, when he gets there, uh, the letter says, ha ha, a little too late, my friend. Don't think I'm sorry or scared. I'm glad you know the truth. 
and an empty household behind it, it seems like nobody actually has, is living in Curzon's house at the moment. So yeah. intriguing. It is intriguing. I do think it might be a red herring, though. Mm-hmm. For me, I still see the hand of John Ripper in this. He, Very interesting. I, I, I have this feeling that, you know, given his involvement with Undyne uh, Thwaite and potentially being a CIA asset, mm-hmm. we know that the CIA or the No Name League want to recruit... Um, Alfred Pennyworth, you know, he, he's constantly being badgered for work, you know, being lured back to the crown by Inspector Aziz yeah. and working for the British. It seems like the CIA maybe want to have Alfred working for them, hence why they want him in the No Name League. So I have a feeling that the manipulation of John Ripper is around here. He could quite easily look into the background here and see something. I do feel that um, I, I'm kind of with Baza. Why would he still be coming after him now, five years on, over a nickname? Surely, mm-hmm. as a captain in the army, certainly the SAS, he would be made of sterner stuff and wouldn't ha- be quite so uh, petty. And I, and I think that there is the potential here that John Ripper, he has the means to dispose of bodies, could quite easily have come in, a little cosh over the back of the head, mm-hmm. slice, slice, uh, burn, burn, maybe his kidney, maybe that was him on the table. Oh, um, well, and maybe. he is now feeding this particular lie that it's Captain Curzon. Or maybe he's just Petty Officer Curzon. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is just Sorry. the worst joke ever. Yeah, he's RBU so petty. <laughs> he is Petty Officer. Oh my goodness. I did. Uh, I, I, I almost missed that. It was so, so corny. Uh, fellow governors, um, yes. If you've just heard that, I do apologize. And if you'd like to, go watch uh, Blackadder Season 4. There's many jokes um, like that. But certainly, I do. I, I, I feel that, you know, John Ripper has put this note on there, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and that now it, it's a question of um, a wild goose chase. Mm. So I, I do. I feel this is somehow going to come back to John Ripper in, in some way. So what you're saying is, on next episode, on episode seven, I'm also going to have to have to put in the question: Who killed Desmond Winnicus? Is should we just put that as the last question every episode? Do you think? Might as well until we find stage. out. Because I thought we'd found the killer. Yeah, I thought I, that was the point. But you're right; it's I, just a dream. He hasn't specifically exactly. found him, and the guy hasn't confessed to killing Esme. It, this could just be a note on the door. Exactly. It's mm. the power of suggestion as well. It's the fact that. Well, I have put something in the tea, and maybe you've gone into this trance, mm-hmm. and I have suggested that it's. Captain Curzon. Maybe. Because John Ripper has pointed Alfred to a job for him, has then pointed him to uh, Baroness Ortsi. Mm-hmm. John Ripper doesn't know who it is, wasn't going to answer that, and then under um, effectively tripping, yeah. he somehow thinks that it is now Captain Curzon. Or as I am likely to call him, Captain Caveman. I was so close to saying um, Captain Caveman. Yes, around. exactly. <laughs> but so, I do like it, because when he wakes back up and he goes, it's the captain, isn't it, to Baroness? And she goes, it's the who? What? I didn't, I wasn't in your dream. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, really good stuff. Um, that's it for our questions for the week. There are a couple of little notes, I suppose, because there's one that we keep forgetting to mention, because it is a central location. The club in the show is called Scarlet Rope. The club that Alfie, Baza, and Dave Boy work in is called Scarlet Rope. Just to say it out loud. Stuff. Because we haven't said it yeah, for the yeah. entire series, and we've been saying the severed arms over and over again. This is a bigger location. Scar- Scarlet Rope is a much bigger location in the show than uh, than any of the others. So definitely need to remind us of that. Um, a little bit more uh, casual xenophobia in this episode once again. We didn't yeah. get to mention it last episode. That thing of Alfred talking to Martha Wayne, uh, and they pour the tea, and she thinks it could be poisoned, and Alfred goes, "No, no, the Raven Raven Society wouldn't poison it. it they're not Italians, you know." Once again, you've got that casual xenophobia. Yeah. I thought it might have been because he's trying to play Michael Caine's version of the character and Michael Caine was in the Italian job so kind of a little connection in there but in this episode you have um, the the bartender in the severed arms going assassination riots what do you think we are French um, yeah. which is like they it just is, constantly it, throw the stuff I, in I, I'm hoping they do away with that I don't yeah. I just kind of don't think there's any need for it I mean I, I get that at that time within a 60s sense um 
yet you would have gotten that. But I, I think at this stage, it's just, it's just kind of stereotypes, mm-hmm. and it makes no sense to have this in here. Yeah. Um, so I really do hope Bruno Heller kind of pulls away from having to kind of put these people down as caricatures, because, um, yeah, it's just like, okay, we've moved on. Well, maybe. I wonder if the big B word that was going on last summer that I'm not going to mention on the podcast, (laughs) I promise, uh, look it up. But I think the B word that went on last summer and the summer before may have had an effect on how he was writing some particular British characters. Well, possibly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. especially when you're talking about leagues and societies trying to vie for control of the UK. Um, you know, you just wonder if he might have had some other influences in there. Uh, still can't see any connection to Zilla Black. We mentioned that earlier on. Please send in your thoughts uh, if you have any idea what uh, what Zilla Black means in regards to this episode. I think that's it for notes as well. Uh, John, how would you rate the episode? I would give this four and a half toads eyeballs out of five. <laughs> okay. Hubble, bubble, toil and trouble kind of thing for Baroness Ortsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked uh, Penelope Keith in this as Baroness Ortsy, and I thought Crowley w- as well. I love this kind of supernatural feel that was brought to this episode. Um, and, you know, the hallucinations, the tripping, all of it fed in to, um, you know, that kind of psychedelic 60s, uh, you know, where you've got all these drugs being taken, the parties uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that maybe we're a bit closer to finding out uh, Esme Winokur's um, murderer. Maybe not. Uh, as I say, I still kind of feel that the, the bloody hand of John Ripper, maybe even Jason Ripper, um, is is playing out here. Maybe that's why John Ripper was happy to have Jason Ripper uh, moved away from London uh, for some reason. Or maybe that's why he's back. Yeah, or that's why he's back, exactly, at this party. Um, So I I really liked it. I I, like the fact that we're going to have Harwood and the Sykes sisters back down in London, Mm -hmm. causing mayhem gaining his rightful place as the head of the Raven Society, where I suspect that truce will seem a little shaky, and how that will undermine the CIA plans and the government of the Prime Minister, who knows? So I I really like this. I thought this really pulled a lot of stuff together, and again, it's nice to have all these different aspects. It, It was good to have the flashbacks from the war coming into the hallucination uh, brought on by the the spiked tea that yep. Baroness Ortsy had given, and also with with Baza and Davy Boy being involved with the the chase to the house of, of Captain Curzon. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, really enjoyed this episode. I think one of the best so far. I think it's the highest rating rating you've given for a, a, an episode of Pennyworth so far. Yeah, I can see that. I can definitely yeah. see that. There's so much cool stuff that's happening in this episode, and definitely when you get a bit of psychedelia and tripping uh, in an episode for two of your major characters, Martha Wayne and uh, Alfie. Pennyworth, both kind of tripping in this episode is kind of fun. Uh, one of those wonderful unreliable narrator type things where you go, even if Martha's questioned as to what happened to Patricia, well, what did she say? Well, she changed outfit and then we went through seven rooms. Uh, I don't really know what happened after that. And then I ended off in a field. So how are they ever going to find Patricia Wayne again? You know, interesting yeah. stuff for the next episodes. Thanks so much for joining us for these episodes. We want to hear from you. Make sure you email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with your thoughts on episode six or any of the other episodes we've covered before. There's only 10 episodes in the series, so get in your thoughts about how you're enjoying the show or not. Uh, if you're not, let us know as well. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, TV Podcast Industries, on any major podcast pe- player, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the rest. Or you can find us just under the Pennyworth Podcast on any major player as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next Monday with our review of Pennyworth Episode 7, entitled Julie Christie. Mm Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, looking forward to that as well. Make sure you also follow us for our coverage of The Boys. We're releasing episodes about The Boys, an Amazon Prime TV show, uh, out every Wednesday. Uh, so I think we're on to episode six next week as well. So we're kind of even Stevens on the episodes uh, for each of the shows. But check us out on TV Podcast Industries. That's been a lot of fun covering another adult-orientated Absolutely. Uh, comic book hero show. Definitely. If you like the occult, you can try out Good Omens as well. That delves into Aziraphale and Crowley mm-hmm. in all their glory in... In the Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman uh, Good Omens book mm-hmm. brought to Amazon Prime. And of course, if you like anything to do with Marvel Netflix, then of course there are the Street Level Hero podcasts that we have talked about. Yep. All seasons of Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and 
Iron Fist for you to check out. Yeah, absolutely. And The Punisher as well. Uh, loads of stuff on and there. And The Punisher. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again really soon, next uh, Wednesday or Monday. Yeah, thank you so much, fellow governors, for joining us. A pleasure speaking with you, as always. I'm off for my second whiskey and a packet of crisps. Uh, and when I'm back, a little heavier and maybe a little drunker. Um, <laughs> and hopefully my whiskey hasn't been spiked with something dreadful that like makes water. me trip all over uh, the, the pub. Then I'll be back uh, to speak with you again soon. Bye. <laughs>